Welcome to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Air McManus. We are here together. I have my dad, Earl McManus, with me. Man, you are wound up today. I've had my coffee. I got some good sleep. I slept like all of Saturday. Uh, not like all of Saturday, pretty much all of Saturday. Well, good for you. I'm so happy I to hear slept, it. I <laughs> slept. I woke up. I drove to your house. I fell asleep. <laughs> hey, here we are <laughs> on another episode of Battle Ready. Oh, well, it's good to be here. I'm excited. And today we're going to do something special. We haven't we done are. this in a while. We haven't done this in a while. We've been kind of busy. Okay. Yeah, well, we have been. But, uh, we have been. But we love Battle Ready. This is really one of our highlights to, uh, throughout the week. It is. Well, we do two episodes a week. So we kind of, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to, so we did this. On my dad's Instagram, we posted um, a little selfie and then basically said, if you have questions, ask it. So I'm going to read some of the questions. Okay. Also, shout out to Eric Roy because it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Eric Roy. Wow. Happy birthday. And And he's the first question. Well, First of all, before we start answering questions, we had a little argument before we went on air about how to answer questions, because Aaron feels that sometimes I'm a little bit too snarky in my response to the questions, and I don't take time to answer the question. And so... Um, well, what was that? Oh, what was the question? It was... Um, oh, here it is. So he was reading through <laughs> well, the questions, and I was trying to get us going because... I, it's more I think f- the questions also... I, I respond to what I perceive to be the sincerity of the question or the intention behind the question. And maybe that's where um, we have some disagreement. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that he doesn't answer the question, he berates the questioner. I don't berate the questioner unless the question is offensive and um, subtly insulting. The, I, the, 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 Brooke, the, Brooke, will you hear me over there? Brian, you guys hear me? Yes. I, I need He's an, trying an to take away from my there. mic time because he knows I'm about to go for him right now. <laughs> I've... W- <laughs> The the concept of there's no dumb question does not exist with you. There's not only dumb questions, but there's dumb people behind the questions. I'm going to remain quiet at this point. And when I was younger, I might have said there are no dumb questions, only dumb people. But <laughs> So here he was the question, response to conservative Christians regarding lack of theology in Mosaic sermons. And then, so wait, read that again. The question. The question right. from Lawrence. I don't know who this person is. Response to conservative Christians regarding lack of theology in Mosaic sermons. Well, so let me break down the way my mind reads that question right away. First of all, it feels to me as if the person isn't willing to ask the question for themselves, so they appeal to conservative Christians rather than saying, I think your sermons don't have theology. So I don't like when a person talks about they or them or people or others or uh, someone because I feel like it's not a courageous way to ask a question. Don't ask a question for others. Ask a question for yourself. And secondly, when you say conservative Christians, you're now immediately working from your own assumption that conservative Christians are actually right about their views of things. See, rather no, than— see, I think you're reading too much into it. Well, I would say I'm no. telling you what I'm reading well, into it. Well, I think you would— <laughs> No, no. I, because of a lifetime of this. Right. But, uh, well, one, this would normally come from, like, a younger white dude who goes to a, a school maybe that is Liberty or, like, a smaller Christian school across the country. And we know this because we yeah. DM and we talk with people. So it's not that's not a – we love right. everyone. Um, we equally love and not love everyone. We d- 
You know what I mean? We like and dislike everyone. We were, yeah, whatever. Well, you can love people and completely disagree with their thinking. I, I think he's asking the question. I think this guy is asking the question from the perspective of he sees conservative Christians critique you consistently. So you feel like, yes, okay. Well, given he's like a young Chinese sneakerhead, uh, Asian American, but obviously loves Jesus. So mm-hmm. I think he's maybe just going, maybe he's aware of the topography. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. And then I think he's maybe asking like, um, can, what's your actual response? But maybe he is. Maybe he's maybe he's a, a, a conservative in liberal clothing and and he's just trying to ask for others. Who knows? So, so first of all, when someone says that my messages don't have theology, I would say you're clearly not listening to my message. You're, you're listening to someone talk about my message because you cannot listen to any of my messages and not think there's theology in them. Okay. Secondly, um, when a person disagrees, they don't think there's theology in it. I would say the Christian uh, conservative Christians oftentimes don't have theology in their messages. They just have, uh, they have dogma. Yeah. And and so they're saying the same thing over and over and over again, and that's what we think theology is. This is going to be a fun episode. No, so I'm, I'm going, hey, just because He's a person so is, already. just because a person is wrong with arrogance doesn't make them right. Well, it's funny. And it's which... F- wrong with arrogance doesn't make them right. Yes. I woke up this morning and I was, I saw a, a pastor friend, as both mm-hmm. of our, well, you know him more than I do. And he's, it was like a video of him walking along the ocean and he was like speaking and all he was doing was saying passionately like the end of a verse that would get Christians excited. And I was just like, oh, we're back to this. Not that that's wrong. It's great. It's biblical, but it's not saying, he's not actually saying anything. He's just like, there's no difference between like that and like, you know, rapping or singing a song. It's just like, you're getting people hyped. You're getting Christians hyped and then you're confusing people who don't know God and then people are wondering why everyone's clapping or figuratively clapping or metaphorically clapping. So it's just an odd thing to me. I was just, I woke up and I laughed and I muted it. Yeah, I would say the same Christian conservatives who say that my messages have no theology right. would be the very same people who would crucify Jesus because they would say that Jesus was a, a radical who was not using the Bible. Well, I think it's also the same conservative Christians whose kids don't actually like to go to their churches. Not because their churches, well, I want to say that, but uh, because those uh, oftentimes those churches that only focus on theology don't have life because theology isn't about academics. Theology isn't about information. Biblical theology is about life change, it's about transformation, it's about relationship, it's about knowing Jesus. And and so, you know, when you have a sermon on the Trinity, I'm not sure whose life you're trying to change when you're having that particular conversation. I'm not saying that isn't an important conversation to have on occasion, but that same person needs to know how to talk about how to walk in humility how to treat people with kindness, how to live a life of compassion, which are also important theological perspectives. Well, it seems like there's a a critical divide between two streams of Christianity or religion, whether it's the highly theological, quote unquote, which really like the the people who claim that they're highly theological, there's maybe a handful of them because most of them don't have good theology, they just have the theology that was handed down to them. Yeah. They have good, it's, that's doctrine. You have, you're, you're, you've been brainwashed. Mm-hmm. But it's fine. Sometimes it's a good brainwashing. Sometimes it's a bad brainwashing. You know, like, Brian is brainwashed because he loves the Rockies, even though not a great team. They, he loves them. We were brainwashed because we loved the Clippers, and that was a trash team. Uh, I don't, I'm not coming for you. I'm just using examples. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just saying, <laughs> there, 
You can you can fall in love with someone's voice and and forget that maybe what they're saying isn't actually bringing anyone to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It seems like there's a theological side and then an evangelistic side. Yeah, I just think I just it's irritating to me when I read things like this is what conservative Christians are saying about you or your theology. And a part of the reason it's frustrating to me, and, and I think really disappointing to me, is I'm a person who actually believes in the authority of the scriptures. I'm a person who believes in the um, reality of Adam and Eve. I'm a person who believes that there was a burning bush. I'm a person who believes that there was a parting of the Red Sea. I'm a person who believes in the virgin birth. I'm a person who believes that Jesus is God in flesh and blood. I'm a person who believes Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. Yeah, but if you don't say that every time, you're not a Christian. Right, so I'm going, okay, if I'm seen as a liberal, where is there any room for a person who follows Jesus to even think? I, I think the problem is not that um, I'm not orthodox enough. I think the problem is Christianity has become a stupid belief system where we don't think broadly, are not allowed to think in complex ways. And uh, you cannot get any more biblically conservative than me, uh, but I'm not going to toe the party line by saying the same thing over and over again so that people can accept me. Yeah. I think we're done with this one. Okay, so that's my response. Okay. It makes me angry because... No, 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 the, no we're, done yeah. we're done with it. Okay. <laughs> You're over it. We're all right, it. all right. Go on. Um, how, do you create a, how do you create a culture that values creativity and beauty? 30 seconds or one minute. I mean, I think one of the ways you create a culture that values creativity and beauty is that you highlight everywhere where there is actually creativity and beauty. You allow people to create. You allow people to be unique. And you don't create a system of standardization and conformity. How do you keep consistent and continually pursuing your goals slash dreams on the hard days? Well, I, I don't know if anyone ever consistently every day is as intense or focused as they should be. I think you have to give yourself some grace. You just have some bad days and some days where you're just catching your breath. And I just think you have to do things you love and you're passionate about because that gets you back up in the morning. I think that's an interesting thing because you're highly disciplined and com- and completely inconsistent. <laughs> well, I think it would be probably a fair description of your work yeah. style. Yes. Like you're always working, but not consistently mm-hmm. on the same thing. Yeah. Right? Some days it's dramatically more emphasized on one project than another. Yeah. When you I was younger, I thought I, I lacked discipline, but I realized later as life developed that I was extremely disciplined. What I lack is uh, traditional structure. And so where other people are structured, I'm disciplined. And and the difference is that my discipline allows me to keep moving things forward. But I don't always use the same structure. Is desiring wealth a selfish desire? No, I think um, being selfish is the best um, measure of selfish desires. So what would you say, how do you counter, how do you create a healthy support system or structural foundation to becoming wealthy? Like once, how do you put in place a general, like a culture of generosity inside of yourself before you become wealthy? Yeah, I think the challenge is if you desire wealth and that becomes your your compass, it's going to be unhealthy. Because what you need to desire is to do something that matters. You need to desire to have meaning in your life. You need to desire to do something that makes the world better and then allow that to create your wealth. So setting up a, a, setting up a structure of healthy desires yes, yes, around becoming successful. Wealth should be an outcome, not, um, not in the sense a, a core aspiration. Okay. Yeah. If you, had another, if you had to write another book, what would your message be? Well... I am writing another book, and I just finished it, and it'll be out September the 14th, so I'll let you wait until I can announce its uh, release. 
There's silent fist pumps from the booth. <laughs> and I'm um, so excited. He said, loved the episode with Lawrence. Can you do one similar with Joe Smith? <laughs> what that does a day awesome. in your life look like? I don't have a day in my life. That's that's the whole point of lack of structure. <laughs> and it there, generally changes for you. There every are no day, two huh? days in my life that are the same ever. But you've kind of built a world, and you've always been like this because you were around a lot when I was a kid. You, but you were one of the early adopters to working from your phone. Mm-hmm. Like the moment you had a phone that you could travel with, I had a BlackBerry. With. I traveled with a BlackBerry, and then you were at everything. Yeah. Like the moment you had the ability to be out of the office, you were out of the office. You yep. just worked from your phone, from calls, from. You know what I mean? You, I, I genuinely remember you always kind of dipping in, dipping out, mm-hmm. being around. I'd be like, how are you here right now? And you're like, oh, I'm just on my phone. And, and Yeah, I had a BlackBerry and an iPhone for a lot of years, too. And yeah, because yeah, the BlackBerry was functionally a better phone for work. It's such a better phone. And so I was really sad when it disappeared Yeah, you know, for every practical purpose. What, what can you do as a leader to prepare for change? Well, I mean, I think one of the things you, you do to prepare for change is remain humble. Uh, because it's really... Um, pride and arrogance makes you rigid. Humility makes you teachable and adaptable. See, I would say that I would just don't fall in love with the present. <laughs> like always be grateful for the moment you're in. Yeah, it's good. And be and be and never get too comfortable. Because mm. I think that like well, I was talking about this with someone that you look at people who age. I asked, I was like, I'm 32 and they were younger, and I was like, Do I feel old? And they're like, Because they were talking about how. Mm. Someone in their family married someone way older, and it was yeah. someone who was my age. And I was like, <laughs> but they were also from a major city, but then they were friends with, like, their uncles. And so I was like, wait, do I feel old? And they're like, no. And I was like, yeah, because when you're living in a major city, you have no option but to be somewhat relevant. Like, you'll, you'll stick out like a sore thumb if, you're, if you don't, like, modernize and, and kind of evolve, as, even just aesthetically or, like, yeah. you know, what you're listening to or what you're wearing or X, Y, Z. But in the suburbs or in like smaller cities that are kind of outside of the major ones, change is slower, mm-hmm. far more relative. So you don't have to change clothes or have to change cars or have to change. That's true. I mean, a lot of people are slower. 25 who feel so old. So old. And yeah. I run into people and I'm like, this guy's only 25, but he like, you know, and it's not a bad thing. So if you come from a small town, I think it's one of those things just being more, the internet has changed that because you can, if you want to tap into broader culture, you can. But a lot of times, not even a small town, it's like, yeah, I go to Orange County and 20-year-olds feel much older yeah, than 40-year-olds in L.A. Yeah. And sometimes they feel more responsible. But <laughs> yeah, for, Well, they, they, they feel more trustworthy yeah. and safer. Yeah. But I, I want to add to what you said because I think it's so good about um, remaining adaptive is that you can't fall in love with your own success. Yeah. And if you fall in love with your success, you won't be willing to change and, and adapt for the new and for next crisis. And I've been like, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this because I've been having, mm-hmm. I've been staying in the house with like an insane view of the city. Yeah. A view you could never, a view I never thought I would ever have. A view you cannot afford. <laughs> a view I cannot afford is by the grace of God and the blessing of a friend giving me all opportunity. But then I'm looking at a house to, to maybe buy or invest mm-hmm. in and it's a beater, and it's a right around the corner from the great house I live in. It's a dump. It's a dump. It's crazy. It's it bad. Is, and then you can't even afford that. I can't even afford that. But I'm like, I can. But I could flip that with friends mm-hmm. and make it worth something. Right. And so I, I, I'm sitting in this view, going like, don't get too comfortable. Like, mm-hmm. don't find, don't find your only joy from the fact that you get to have this view. Just enjoy it and remember it and move on. And it's funny. Yesterday, I was talking to your mom, and I told her. Um, the world has changed and you're having a hard time um, dealing with that reality. And, and she said, you're right. 
it, I know the world has changed and I'm having a really hard time dealing Aww. with it. And uh, the world has changed dramatically and, um, and you can fight it because you feel like the changes are not what you wanted or you can adapt to it and learn how to thrive in it. We get a lot of we get a lot of questions asking what our stance is on issues. What que- who answers those questions for Mosaic? Uh, well, actually, the Bible. Mm, that's good. <laughs> How to be fashionable like Irwin? <laughs> Have Aaron and Mariah, your children, constantly uh, berating you for wearing something they don't like? <laughs> I, well, this was interesting, right? Because you came, no. you kind of were working in inner cities. Fashion wasn't the primary where you were working. And then, well, it was. It was just a different fashion. I wear blue jeans, tennis shoes, and a t-shirt. Yeah, that's right. great. I wear that's my whatever every day. <laughs> yeah. But you had someone who was in fashion school who started like literally doing research and, and taking you buying. So you would go and buy from a specific store. Like they would help you, kind of. So it's like if you need help, ask a friend. Yeah, and what was ironic for me was when I came to LA. Um, I mean, I was I, I've always been a little bit eccentric and and maybe unaware of you know things yeah. other people are aware of. And uh, this young woman who came to faith said to me, hey, if you're going to reach my friends in the fashion world, you've just got to dress differently. And uh, and I said, okay, how, how do I dress? Because I didn't care. For me, it wasn't about ego. It wasn't about me. It was about removing any obstacle between the message of Jesus and the people who needed to hear it. So she started taking me shopping. I said, but I don't want you to buy for me. I want you to teach me how you see. And she helped me develop an eye for fashion. And before and once you uh, once you understand something, once you appreciate the artistry and the craftsmanship, it just changes your perspective. And so I actually fell in love with fashion, even though back then I couldn't have cared less. <laughs> Who would you like to meet the most? Is there anyone you'd like to meet in the world? Wow. Well, ironically, the name that pops into my head right away, so I just go with it, was Elon Musk. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. That's, that's who I thought of too. It, 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 yes, yeah. I want to change the answer, but. It, it's what rushed into my brain. If I could just have a, a lunch, you know, with Elon and and uh, and talk about um, the possibilities of different futures, that would be for me pretty extraordinary. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm trying to think who I would want to meet. Ah, oh, I know who I'd want to meet. I think if if I could meet anyone, I would love to meet Renee Redzepi from the restaurant Noma in Copenhagen. Wow. That would be cool. He's, That's so cool. Um, and, and ironic for me, one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten was that someone, uh, at, at this conference, they posted the Elon Musk of Christianity. That's cool. I and like maybe you could be the Rene Giuseppe. Red Zeppi. Red Zeppi. Yeah. <laughs> Giuseppe, Red Zeppi. Um, okay. Do you think how people play basketball is a microcosm of how they live their life? Yeah, absolutely. I can learn so much about someone in any sporting environment from basketball to ping pong to chess. And if I can... Uh, uh, watch you play and play with you up to three games. I'll, I can pretty much break down your personality structure, the way you see the world, the way you make decisions, the way you take risks, the way you team, the way you see yourself and others. Yeah, absolutely. How selfish of a player you are. You almost never invite people back who don't pass. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like <there's, laughs> it's a pretty. It's pretty much the the one sure way you can uh, have your invitation revoked. Uh, why do we lose our faith? Uh, well, I think it's a big question, and it's different for each person, you know. I, but usually, it's experiencing a level of pain that we're not capable of of um, absorbing. 
Would Mosaic consider producing a movie or TV show? Well, Mosaic, probably not, because Mosaic is a church. And, um, but maybe different, different people from Mosaic, yes. Yeah. Um, a, a part of the reason is that to make a great movie, you, you, you have to have some meaningful resources, and I wouldn't want us to spend too little money to make a bad movie. Yeah. I'd rather wait till we can make a great movie. So if we had an opportunity to create a, create a great film or a great TV show and we had the financial resources to do it, then we might jump on it. Thoughts on transhumanism, human merge with machine and AI, spiritual consequence. I just uh, sent a couple of people, Elon Musk, a little clip about uh, artificial right. intelligence that he knows more about it. He's more aware of it than most people, and it's terrifying to him. Years ago, a Russian scientist... Um, slipped into Mosaic and told me that they were far ahead in the development of artificial intelligence than we were being told. Mm. And that um, in Russia, they had already achieved a level of, of consciousness and um, with artificial intelligence. And, and this is over a decade ago. And a lot of times I've had like inside tracks to different people in different industries. And um, quite often the things that I've come to know have actually come to reality. And what do you think the spiritual consequence of AI is, though? Well, I mean, the great fear is that we would create consciousness without a soul. And, and I'm going, consciousness without a soul is probably less dangerous than consciousness with a dark soul. And we already have that with humanity. So I'm not going to be as afraid of artificial intelligence as I am of human intelligence. Well, that's spooky. What's your next creative pursuit? My what? Next creative pursuit. Well, I mean, I'm always pursuing multiple things at one time. I'm in the um, art stage of my first graphic novel, so hopefully that will come out in the next year. I'm also in works for a TV show, and we're in one of the later stages of the pre-development, so we'll oh, see I how that goes. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's been like a two-year thing in the making. You're also working on a graphic novel. Yeah. That's where you worked on six episodes of a graphic novel. Six different, yeah. Like, like um, what are they? Six episodes different or, episodes or graphic, yeah. like, gra it's like a big book, but it's six episodes or yeah. volumes of it. Yeah. I have, there's a question I want to answer. What are some suggestions when you're outgrowing a church, but you want to keep pursuing Jesus? I think, I don't know where Christians got it, but there's a really um, arrogant posture that we take when we talk about outgrowing a church or, mm -hmm. or we've, you know... It, it it's an odd thing. I don't think this person means it badly, but maybe you haven't outgrown it. Maybe you just aren't growing in it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you just that's don't good. like it, and that's okay, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But I think it's pretty hard to outgrow a church because that means you would, you would have had to singularly grown beyond five people, 50 people, 500 people, 5,000 people, mm -hmm. and there's no way you could have done that. So one thing it tells me is you probably aren't letting people into your life. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because when you let people into your life, you grow and you don't have to be like if there are people who can go to some churches that are some of the most boring churches in the world for 50 years. I think <laughs> like the young generation that goes like I outgrew this church. I'm like, no, I don't know if you outgrew it. I think you just haven't found what you're looking for, something that makes you feel the way you want to feel. And that's a bit of an issue, I think, where you go like, do you? Do you, are you looking just for the feeling? Mm -hmm. or are you actually searching for a place where you find community and build into each other and actually have an, you know, like have an accountability structure or even just like a sharpening structure where you're growing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't because, hide behind outgrowing a church. I don't think you did. 
Yeah, because I, I've never outgrown, um, you know, the church. You always find a way to serve. You always find a way to give. And and maybe the question isn't what's the what's what's the church doing for me, but the real question maybe is what exactly are you doing for yeah. the church to serve it, others? If you're outgrowing yeah. it so much, lift it up, build yeah. it more. Yeah, you build can do so people. much. I know. But if you don't like it, you don't need to go. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Is that sometimes we just need a spiritual ex- excuse or a reason. Yeah. To just say, hey, this isn't meeting me where I am right now. Yeah. yeah. In fact, the other day, Kim asked me, hey, um, do you want to get this meal? And, and I told her, I said, hey, I used to love that meal. I just ate it so much that yeah. I don't have a, a taste for it anymore. And, the, and, and sometimes I think we change, we grow, and we just have to find a, a different expression of our faith. How do you keep going when the criticism, the critical comments really hurt? Well, if you are a caring person, the critical comments are going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And and so I think some of it is you just need to not be doing it for the acceptance or rejection of people. And, and at the same time, you, you just can't let people that you don't know and that don't know you become the principal voice in your life. You have to have people in your life that you care about and that care about you and let them speak into your life. And then you have to have conviction. You have to believe that what you're doing matters and you need to be doing it regardless of whether other people um, whether other people like you or agree with you or not, but because it matters to you. And yeah, and so sometimes you use it as fuel too. Yeah. You just use it as fuel to um, to get better. How do you really know if it's God speaking to you? That's a really hard question. You know, and and one of the things I would say is it, you can know it's not God's voice if it goes against the character of God. And you know, and so that's how I know when Moses killed the Egyptian soldier, that was not God's will for his life. And um, God's will doesn't uh, never goes against God's character. And so that's one thing. Two is, uh, I ask basically... Yeah, but God helped him create a better outcome. Yes. Yeah, even that, even still, God still created a better outcome out yeah. of that. Here's some of the ways you can know it's God's voice. If, if the voice calls you to be better, to do better, if it elevates you in the world, if it, it pulls you toward truth... Yeah. to the good and the true and and the beautiful, you can have a clear sense that it's God. Have you ever heard God's like audible voice? Not out loud outside of my head. Right. No, right? No. 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 I okay. never have. I'm sure maybe, maybe other people have, but so, so I think sometimes I think you being young, it's like I know I I mean, I don't know if I'm young anymore, but I, I, I struggle with like is there like a place where like we hear it or is it just always just kind of wondering if we're hearing it or th- or like an internal like guiding th- you know it it isn't tangible and so it it, it it is tough at times. Yeah, what I would say is whenever you hear that voice screaming at you to do the right thing when you don't want to, you can be pretty sure that's God's voice. <laughs> um, <laughs> advice on accepting the end of friendships. Wow, that's a hard one too. And um, you you really introduced the language of seasonal into my life. And you said, hey, you know, uh, the that person is seasonal in your life or they, these people are seasonal and you have to accept that seasonal is not bad, it's good. And that it doesn't have to be bad, let's put it that way. You know, and that sometimes people are in your life for a season because their season changes. And, um, you know, they come into your life because they need you during that time. And you thought it was a permanent friendship, but they saw it as a seasonal friendship. And I and I just think that um, I, I, I've... What I've, do, I've done in my life is I've postured my life in such a way where I go, I expect nothing of uh, the people in my life. So everything's a gift. And that way I'm not really disappointed in people. And, um, and to me, the value of a friendship is the value I can bring to it, not necessarily the value I can get from it. 
That's the way I manage my my relationships for my lifetime. How do you create something, clothing, where people want to invest, not just represent it? I'm not really sure what that means. I read that, you know. I, I'm not sure either. I think the whole reality is that if they want to represent it enough, they will invest in it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because when a person buys something from your line, they are investing in it. But maybe it's this idea of like brand names versus like quality goods. Mm-hmm. And I think the reality is that brand names became brand names because they were over time showed the longevity that they are quality goods. Yeah, I mean, one of the challenges I have a lot of friends who jump into fashion, or at least that's the lang- that's the language that they use. Um, but really, they they've jumped into graphics. You know, it, it, they're, yeah. it, and, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there's a difference between graphics and fashion. And so if you're using the same T-shirts to put like your theme or something like that or your statement, and that's all you're doing, um, what you're in is in the graphic industry. You're, you're, you're sharing a message, which isn't a bad thing. You know, so one of my friends I said, hey, look, I just started this fashion company, and it was a Christian statement or phrase that they're using on all their shirts and pants. And um, But it's the same in a shirt and pant you you'd buy yeah. anywhere and 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 yeah. I realized oh the, what they're doing is they're starting a um almost like a statement company yeah. It, it, yeah you know like whatever you know I love people or everyone yeah. matters or you know what it is yeah, yeah. and um what you know what we've been doing is not that it's not that that's not interesting or important but we're working in the process of design and fabrics and patterns and and perspective, and it's it's a very very different space. What's what's something? Yeah, I think I think the difference between like I, we I talked about this a lot with like Joshua Rhodes. Like mm-hmm. he's like super upfront with what his project is. Yeah. He's like I create like it's content. Yeah, tease. It's graphic. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. It's clothing, but it's not like the highest quality goods. It's a good quality. Mm-hmm. But he's like, I want to keep it financially manageable with like inspirational content, where it's different. Where you're trying to create your own silhouette mm-hmm. and then develop. But a lot of times, people start there, and that's a great place. Like, it's probably harder to do it the way we're doing it. Yes, it's harder both ways. It would have <laughs> been much easier for me though, because like words are my art form. Yes, it would have been much easier for me to come out with a line of T-shirts that carry like different phrases I've created over the last thirty years. Right, and it, and it doesn't. I think. I mean, you look at like Virgil at Louis Vuitton. He started <laughs> in a similar place to where like Joshua was starting. Create. It was sort of Pyrex, and even before that, it's like he was creating logo and graphics based on polo tees and like champion shorts like he was kind of creating the streetwear roadmap Mm -hmm. and there's and then he started saying something inside of that so it's like it really is like two different vessels two different mechanisms Mm -hmm. and you can get there different ways and really one is it's sculpture versus painting like it's just a different a different medium right Mm -hmm. two different mediums but they're both art yeah and they're both then they're both apparel to mm-hmm. a sense, right? Yeah. And so I think whether like one is fashion, it's like you can make a graphic tee as fashionable as a, a, like a, a a jacket that's sourced in Japan, but like yeah. it's really what are you saying with those pieces, and if you're even saying anything at all? Yeah. And and so the question to ask yourself is, do I have something unique to say, and do I have a do I have a unique way of saying it? Um, how's dating in LA during a pandemic? So Aaron, how is dating in LA during a pandemic? Um, Next, Aaron, are you wearing a shirt designed by your dad? I am. This is coming out in a few weeks. What's your favorite core value? I, I don't have a favorite core value. Um, 
but uh, probably the one I'm most known for is creativity is a natural result of spirituality. But the one that I think defines my life the most is love is the context for all mission. My, I think my favorite core value is structure must always submit to spirit. Mm. But I, I use a verse when Elijah calls down the fire and they're building and he goes against the prophets of Baal and he mm-hmm. says like, build, you build the altar and I'll build right. the altar and then let's both cover it in water. Mm-hmm. And then if your God brings fire, then you can whatever. Yeah. And then if my God brings fire, mm-hmm. like I will take yeah. over and win. And I just always think that's such a great idea. Cause it's like you, you, you build the structure and then when the spirit comes, that takes precedence. Mm-hmm. But if you don't build the structure, nothing will come. I often think. That's cool. And so... That's good. Um, can you talk about the new graphic novel you're doing? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet, but it's going to be It's gonna be good. I will say it's a mythology that I've created out of the um, Persian Empire during the uh, era where they'd be known as the Dark Ages. How come Canada is way better than the U.S.? Name in three ways which Canada is better than the U.S. Well, I in fact, say, name one way no. that Canada would even exist if the U.S. wasn't here to protect well, you it. You could you could list this. You could they have they have a free security system, which is the U.S. military. They have <laughs> That's they true. have um, safe trade because of the U.S. military, and they're safe because of the U.S. military. So, being Canada is like it's a great it's a great place to be. You're essentially Puerto Rico, but your own country. <laughs> With you, not you, as you've many just beaches. offended an entire nation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I actually love, honestly, if, if it wasn't so hard for Americans to live in Canada, I would live in Vancouver. I think Vancouver is one of the most beautiful yeah. cities in the world. And I, I love Canada and I love Canadians. I do love Canadians. And one too. of your best friends is Canadian. But also, that's why I'm ripping on Canada because that's like, <laughs> that's their humor. <laughs> one of my best friends is, lives in, is in, is Canadian and lives in Canada. I haven't seen her in two years. I haven't seen her in a year and a half. You haven't? Rachel, no, because I was supposed to see them. For their wedding, but they got they had to get married in Toronto during COVID, mm. not where they were gonna get, not his hometown in, in France. Wow. So yeah, I haven't seen. I know we were talking about it the other day on the phone. We haven't seen each other in like a year and a half now because of COVID. Oh, that's sad. Because I was gonna fly up. I drove up to see them. Remember, I remember when I was visiting Lawrence. Me mm-hmm. and Ryan drove up and saw her. Um, yeah, we have friends up in Kelowna that we love. We and, do. Uh, and so there, there's a the Stover family is really close to us. We love. There them is so like a funny rivalry though, because ca- Canadians like are trying to like Canadians try to get into the U.S. as much as any other <laughs> other country, but then they claim that Canada's better. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I do think that um, <laughs> it, it, it would be nice to not have the complexities that the United States has. Uh, Canada just doesn't have like that's when you compare the United States to Denmark. Or Sweden. It doesn't, it's not a comparison. I'm going, you you have fewer people in the nation you're comparing it with than there are in Delaware. So if you want to, yeah. you know, if you want to look at comparisons, compare Delaware, you, you know, and... You could say that Canada is a better nation and that it doesn't have to deal with as much um, politically, culturally around the world. Mm-hmm. Like that, that would make it a better place because yeah. sometimes it's so volatile in the U.S. that yeah. it, it, it just takes away from the enjoyment of just living here. Yeah. But I mean, you look in, even in terms of Canada, the, the complexity of dealing with Quebec and Montreal and that region of Canada where people don't even speak English or they speak English, but French is seen as their primary language and they don't even see themselves as primarily Canadians. And well, I, Quebec I, is Texas of, of Canada because they're always trying to secede from <laughs> the Canadian no. government. I, you I know just, that, right? 
Well, I know they're always trying to they're yeah. always trying to get out. Yeah. And uh, but um, it, it's just every nation has their challenges, has their issues. And I don't like saying one nation is better than another in that regard. I'm just saying that some nations have are of greater historical consequence than others. That's what I would say. And the United States is, uh, in modern times, the nation of greatest consequence in world history. Where can I buy all your books in Spanish? You can. Amazon, right? Amazon, yeah. Amazon? Yeah, mm -hmm. Amazon. Brooke nods. In Espanol. How to pursue greatness while being a good husband and having a nine-month-old. Well, be a great husband and be a great dad to your nine-month-old. That's the first place you should pursue greatness and let everything else come from that epicenter. I, I, I do ask myself and my close friends, do you want to be the CEO or do you want to be a mid-level manager? And it's not bad. Either mm -hmm. one, neither one is bad. The, the, right. Most of the world is built on being a mid-level and only a few are the top. And if you choose the top, you're going to see your nine-month-old less. So it's it, about it, spending, it's about making the moments you do see that person even greater. It is, it is challenging. I think there are times in your life, and I've had to have this conversation with people over the years, where you have to say, hey, these are the choices and the, the choice is yours to make. But one choice is, is a demotion and one choice is a promotion. It doesn't mean that the demotion isn't what is right for you. You may want a life that has less pressure, less intensity, um, less responsibility. Um, but you can't expect the same benefit from that choice that than the person who's making the choice that has more responsibility and carries the weight of an organization and um, has to wake up and go to sleep with the reality that people's jobs are at stake because of their choices. Because even this morning I was thinking about how, you know, when you're living a more like minimalistic life and you, let's say you're working at Go Get Them and you're, and you're saying, okay, I just want to, like I want to be a barista and I want to enjoy my life and I don't want to carry that. You have to realize there's someone who's the owner of that of that coffee shop and they carry the weight of those bills and that economic challenge and of paying all those bills. So for you to have less pressure, someone actually has to be willing to take more pressure. For you to have less responsibility, someone has to be able to be willing to take on more responsibility. And otherwise you wouldn't have those other options in life. That is a great one. I also think you can be yeah. a great husband and a, and a great dad, but also go to work and be successful. Yeah, I never saw that as uh, as mutually exclusive. Well, because you did a good job of communicating where we sacrificed mm -hmm. time, right? Yeah. But you made the time really valuable when you were around. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, we tra you traveled for max three weeks at a time, but you traveled for three weeks almost every month. <laughs> you, were, you were pretty much on a plane Monday through Thursday if you weren't gone on the yeah. weekends for probably 52 weeks a year for 15 years growing up. Maybe not that many weeks because I didn't travel in December. <laughs> no, but you would do big conferences in November. You mm -hmm. would be gone. Yeah. You would do Europe or something in, in the summer and you'd yeah. be gone for weeks. I did travel an immense amount. Immense amount. So maybe not 52 weeks a year. Maybe, but you, de you did well over 52 flights a year, mm -hmm. right? Yes, 100 You're doing hundreds a year. of flights a year. <clears throat> you, yeah. And so I think a lot of it was just you were able to communicate and you created open lines of communication. Mm -hmm. Given I was like a young, I was a young kid. Mm -hmm. We could only call you from the home line because there was no cell phones back then. <laughs> and you didn't like, I don't know. I think I didn't really grow up like a, I didn't grow up with a band. I think people are afraid like you're going to be an abandoned father. You're neglecting mm -hmm. your kids. I'm like, no, I was pretty happy when our life changed. <laughs> you know, like you bought a house and things were, 
more, you know, we were able to afford more, just even to live with more ease. I saw it, and I also realized what it took. You you worked your you worked your face off <laughs> for twenty five years. Yeah, you know what I mean. You didn't take a vacation for the first twenty of them. Yeah. So like I understood what it took, but I also think there's the reality that that um it doesn't look the same. I also think like create if you are the boss, create environments where families are welcome. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you also created a, an environment where kids, you could brought kids around. Yeah, I took you to over office. 30, 40 countries you around never, the world. <laughs> you were never mad when kids were around. Yeah. You loved it because yeah. you were you brought that. Um, will President Obama get canceled for his new podcast with Bruce Springsteen? Did you Have you heard that one? No, I haven't heard about that. I am yet. completely in the dark about this. No, me too. Will you look it up? Maybe he did it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Bruce Springsteen, the boss who got canceled for the Jeep commercial. Yeah, I think they're, they're, I think they're kind of talking about in reference to our last podcast and okay. maybe maybe Obama did one. It's called Renegades, Born in the USA. Was it pre-recorded before the commercial? Um, I believe so, yeah. They started um, in Springsteen's home studio last year. Okay, your favorite clothing brands. What's it, what, just like name one that you like right now? I haven't been paying attention right now, to yeah. be honest with you. You, you know, and, um, and I probably couldn't even pronounce them right. <laughs> I, I I like um I can't I probably get all the pronunciation wrong. I I like uh, Jacques Mez a lot, but I don't know anything about them. But I'm like aesthetically, I like looking at their stuff online. That's yeah, really cool. Um, another one of our favorites. I mean, I wear sweatpants from Walmart, so like I'm not like the epitome of fashion. But like all my sweatpants are five dollars from Walmart, if five dollars. Mm-hmm. Um. And since no one's paying me to advertise them, I'll just... <laughs> yeah, true. Just be yeah. silent. Um, no, I don't think Obama will be canceled. I don't think Bruce Springsteen's canceled. Um, I'm comfortable in a high-paying job, but want to start a business, how to break the fear. I always say uh, anything you want to move into as a new career, begin as a hobby. Don't leave your job. Uh, work at night. Working and, night and, and on the weekends. That's what I did. Every time I wanted to have a new career, I made it my hobby. And instead of sleeping or watching TV, I did that. Yeah. 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 And also, like, you know, I say this, but then I'm also aware that all the, 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 the young guys that work for us will probably do this. But, you know, start your business when you work for someone else and they pay for their paying for it. <laughs> you know, like if you do it in your own time, if you have the freedom and, and you know, and then you have the backing. Um Advice for church planners in unreached cities. Well, I, I guess my first advice is you can't grow something without relationships, and that's one of the things that's really understated. And I would go into that city and find a job, a job that um, allows you to connect to a lot of people. That's why, I like, working at a coffee shop is a great thing to do, or working in some place where you get to be in the traffic pattern of the people you want to reach. That's the best place to to begin. The questions are getting better the longer we're doing oh, okay. this, wow. which is kind of cool. They're just getting more interesting. Uh, the $20 million – so uh, this is paraphrased because I think sure. they're trying to fit inside the box and have us read it. $20 million fundraiser, the hope, work, disappointment, and then the pandemic, your process. We talked a bit about this yeah, early yeah. on. Yeah. But when you're always like really optimistic and you're you're really able to see the positives and the negatives, yeah. like where some – I think publicly we're like, you know – we tried to raise twenty million and we didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if we had bought this building, we would be having to pay mortgage on a twenty million dollar building. Yep. And it just frankly isn't worth that anymore. 
No, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I'm, I have an odd personality where disappointment lasts for like three minutes for me. <laughs> and, uh, it was more disappointing before COVID. And then once the pandemic happened, it was like a gift from God. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think some of it is that I generally don't confuse myself with God. Like I knew I couldn't raise $20 million. Right. Yeah, you know, and, and, but I wanted to create an opportunity that if that's something God wanted to make happen, that we created that space. And, it, and, um, and was I disappointed it didn't happen? Yes, I was. And, uh, but I was disappointed more for why it didn't happen. I would have um, development experts come to me and tell me, um, your church isn't really going to get a lot of money from Christianity because people don't know what to do with Mosaic. And, then said, and of course, people without Jesus aren't going to give money to Mosaic because it's a church. So you're in this, you're in this no zone where no, no large money is ever going to come to your place. And, uh, and that's frustrating for me, you know, because we've given our life to, to build this. At the same time, that, that capital fundraising um, experience it taught me a lot. It built some great friendships. The people who gave the most money are like my friends. Yeah, they were people that were really in your world already. Yeah, and basically every single one of them was like, we don't really care about the building. We just want to help Mosaic move forward. Yeah. And so none of them were crushed going, oh, we didn't get the building. They were like, hey, let's just keep moving the church forward. In fact, one of the biggest givers we had just sent me a text going, we are so excited about Mosaic Houses. Yeah. And what you guys are doing around the world, this has been our vision. This is our dream. They didn't care less about the building. They care about opening up these houses all over the world. Which I, I would like, we were talking about this a bit. When we were filming the last Hillsong, we have two more episodes. We have two more filmings for. I think Hillsong we only have one more film. One more. Well, yeah. when we were three t- more yeah, shows, yeah. One three more, more shows, one yeah. more filming, which is crazy. Um, and we were talking with some of the guys there, but but we were talking about how it's ironic that the biggest givers in our church are the least, the lowest maintenance. Completely. That they, they I can't even get them to come to the building. <laughs> they don't. They don't come to the church. They they watch online because they also mm-hmm. have. They, for the last five years, they've had. Mm-hmm three, four little boys, three little boys yeah. that were growing up and they live far, they two hours away. Mm-hmm. So it was like biggest givers, lowest maintenance. Whenever they see a problem that they bring up, they are always offering to help fix it. Yeah, that's what we talked about this it's past always, week. Yeah. It's it's a unique uh, dynamic and the personality of our biggest givers. They never bring up a problem if they're not willing to put money behind it to solve it. Yeah, and, and it it's always super interesting to me because they like... I've gone to work on projects with them. They're mm-hmm. like the best. And yeah. and then they're highly communicative when it's coming to helping solve the problem. Yeah. Tons of ideas. They're an open, like, yeah. if anything, I probably don't access them enough mm-hmm. just on wisdom, but they're constantly available when we need them with anything. And it's the best when they're around because they genuinely bring such a positive energy, even when it's in critical thinking moments. And they just realize what separates people who complain with people who are great. Yeah. Right. I think it's that one singular – like people who are complaining about – people who want to be great and people who are have achieved greatness yeah. is that they – when they see a problem, they try to fix it. And when they can't fix it, they try to help bring a solution mm-hmm. or maybe – or they or they find someone that can help us solve the problem yeah. when it's outside of their purview. Mm-hmm. And then they're highly adaptive and – and, and committed to research. So if they don't know the solution, they're trying to figure it, help the solution out. But it was really cool to, I, I'm like always like genuinely blessed and feel like excited when they're around or even <laughs> just through email or phone calls or whatever. Yeah. And even another one of our uh, givers came to me and said, um, hey, how much would the mortgage be? Because that's how much money I'll go out and try to make in my company. <laughs> 
know, and uh, like they're trying to figure out how to create more wealth just to solve problems at the church. It's so it's such a beautiful thing, and so I think it like I think if anything for like young people, it's like if you're if you're highly critical of church, like are you someone who's putting the burdens of church on your back? Yeah. So there's a lot of questions I skipped over that were like, what do you do with past trauma in church? What do you do when the church uh, uh, abandoned you and 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 destroyed you? And I'm like. I I'm I don't have a victim mentality, so mm. um, I would say fight the victim mentality of like when I am not friends with someone anymore, I don't go and bad talk them and try to destroy their life. Mm-hmm. When I I don't ever see the church has done the yeah. the being in church, I've had a, experienced a lot of damage and trauma and things growing up, but it's also why I'm highly committed to creating a different environment inside of church. Mm-hmm. You cannot control the entirety of church. The entirety of church did not destroy you. There might have been a few people that have caused pain, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, I don't think, um, like, I live my life, but it doesn't mean I stop breathing mm-hmm. because there's been moments of pain and destruction and hurt. Yeah, it, I, I have experienced damage and love in relationships. It doesn't mean I... I abandoned dating or, or trying to seek relationships. I, I think the reality is that like you, you can't, you have to try to fight the generalization. Mm-hmm. If you've been hurt somewhere or if you don't, I think oftentimes we, we try to find really drastic reasons for why they're not theological. I was hurt. I had a bad, a bad instance. I did this. It doesn't just like what you don't like doesn't mean it's, it's not likable to other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think we have this thing of like, if I don't like it, it must be destroyed. If I don't like it, everyone must hate it. If I was wronged, everyone must have been wronged. And I and I'm just I think we've got to change that in our culture. Yeah. You know, one of the things that just struck me is when a person has been hurt by a person they that they came in contact in the church. Yeah. They end up hating the church, but we don't. They people don't treat the film industry the same way. I mean, when, when when there's abuse in the film industry or abuse in the television industry well, or yeah, abuse in Hollywood... Yeah, they, they do. It's that was, that was where it all started. No, but I'm saying is that all the people who go to movies, they still go to the movies. Yeah, that's true. You know, they still watch Netflix. They're still... They kind of ignore the world behind the world that entertains them. Yeah. And and I, I just thought this is it's like so interesting. And because ironically... Just because, like, I mean, when you go to the Louvre and you see a Picasso, you don't say to the, you, you don't go, I'm not going to look at the Picasso because of the life Picasso lived. Or Van Gogh. Or Van Gogh, wherever it may be. You appreciate that great work of art. And I think it, it, there's an irony in that um, horrible things happen in the world, not just in the church. Horrible things happen in human history. And some of those people happen to have been evil people or destructive people in the church. But it doesn't mean that that the message of Jesus or even the movement of Jesus is defined by those really tragic, horrible situations. And and we have to learn how to distinguish what has happened to us with um, the good that's out there as well. and, but, um, but how we process the past will ultimately determine how we are able to proceed in the future. Yes. And I think we have, we're in a generation that is highly processing the past yeah. to blame it for why there's a lack of ambition and apathy mm-hmm. and opportunity in situations now. I think that's a really dangerous place. And I think it's tough, right? Yeah. And I think you, and you look at cultures, you look at the Jewish culture, you look at the black culture, you look at Mexican culture, you look at Chinese culture – you look at any culture that has has overcome great um, tumultuous 
um, situations, and and they don't focus. They honor the past. They respect the past, but they don't focus on the past to a point where it 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 is detrimental to their future. I think you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think you look at it now, and you're like, I think I think we can. It can become a, a privileged thing mm-hmm. where we go. This person hurt me, and so yeah. I'm. I, you know what I mean. And I even have moments of like. I have moments like that. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, we forget. We don't realize sometimes that bitterness can actually be the um, the the root for prejudice. Yes. Because the word prejudice comes from the word to to prejudge someone. So if you had a bad experience with, let's say, um, an illegal immigrant, an undocumented immigrant, then you become prejudiced and you hate all undocumented people. If you have a bad experience with um, a Latino, yeah. Then you hate all Latinos. Or if you have a bad experience, you know, with uh, with a, or a Republican, or you have a bad experience yeah. with a, a person in church. And so what happens is that if that experience then prejudices you toward everyone that yeah. is like them in some way, you've actually indicted an entire slew of people. Yeah, for what someone else has done. It's interesting because President Joe Biden went on, a, did like a, a like a twenty minute rant in the Senate, like mm. five, I think within like the last five years, and it was like very interesting because it was like, it was very racist and very pointed towards the black community, and he mm-hmm. said, you know, he was it was very interesting, mm-hmm. and and I I found it mm-hmm. and or like it was sent to me, and I was like, okay, look, like everyone had to some degree, I think that's proof because now he's. The leader of the party that's very much entrenched in BLM and, and a lot mm-hmm. of like the, the 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 modern civil rights movement that mm-hmm. is happening, and I think one I don't I always find it odd to what you ignore mm-hmm. right, but there's that on both sides. Mm-hmm. There's you know like there's so much if not more horrific stuff on the right and the left, and it, you more you search the more you will find, and I think the reality is like you have to start at some point look at people and go, I don't think Joe Biden was a bad guy, but if he was on the right. That would have been pro- that would have been video footage used, and it's on C-SPAN. Like you can mm-hmm. Google it to like destroy his reputation in order mm-hmm. to run for the president, right? So it's like everything is in context, and everything is uh, favorable if you need it to be, <laughs> right? But I'm just more dealing with the fact that if you have had a bad experience with a person, a traumatic experience, you, well, you want to be careful not to then indict every person. Like if well, you, it's interesting. That's why I'm saying is because that speech is is basically that where he says, you know, I don't want the, I don't want those kind f- trying to fight my sons, and I don't want those kinds trying to rob my daughters, and I don't want the, like. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. It's a very divisive s- speech talking on um, lower income communities, and I think that's we can get when when. And I don't. I think it was. His, I think it was a bad moment for him, mm-hmm. right? And I think the reality is that we can we can all we can have those moments where we generalize everything and re- right. and reduce the entirety of humanity in our worst moments, right? Mm-hmm. I was saying like before I went to Mexico City, my only experience was undo- was was the view of Mexicans in Southern California is they're trying to steal your jobs. They're trying to like when you grow up in the suburbs, it's that it's yeah. that reality. But I'm like, when I grew up, it was like, no, we had Salvadorians mm-hmm. that were our gardeners and they were like entrepreneurs. We watched <laughs> him go from like a a beat truck to then and you invested in his company. Yes, I did. To like <laughs> brand new Ford F one fifties to him hiring like literally 30, 40 people taking over the entire community. Right. So like it was a really cool thing to watch over 10 years. Yeah. You know, maybe if I could just unwrap it for a moment, like someone might look at that guy who's Salvadoran and he was here undocumented and um, 
and they and they see him as a problem in society. Yeah. I remember I walked outside one day and he was in tears and he was crying. And I said, what's going on? And he said, I was robbed last week. I lost my lawnmowers, my edgers, edger. I went and replaced it and I just walked out. They just stole everything again. I can't yeah. afford to buy anything else. Yeah. And I remember sitting down with him and I said, okay, uh, we're starting a company and, yeah. um, and I'm going to buy all your equipment and we're going to get a truck and everything else that's secure. And, and, um, and I'm going to invest in your company, except I'm going to have 0% ownership. And that's, not, that's, not, that's not the structure <laughs> you should do, but you bless somebody. And But I walked him through how to start a company where he was not the only employee. And um, and when I saw him 10 years later, he was documented. He had papers. He was married, had a family. He uh, he now only watched all of his employees. <laughs> yeah, he, would, he would come by, check in on everybody. <laughs> he had multiple houses. And when I moved into a nicer house, he said, I can't do your house. It's The, the lawn is... It's a little too far, a little bigger than, you know, and although my other lawn was bigger, it was all psychological. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went into a much smaller lawn. And, and it was um, only five minutes away from the other house. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and he, uh, and I said, no, you're going to hire employees. This is how you can do it. And it's all a perspective, maybe because I am an immigrant and I am from El Salvador. I could look at this person and I could see entrepreneurial potential. And rather than to have a prejudged mentality of who this person was and what, you know, uh, they were capable of. And and I would just say this in terms of in everything in life, I would go, um, because there are bad actors, it doesn't mean all actors are bad. Because there are bad Republicans, it doesn't mean all Republicans are bad. Because there are bad Democrats, it doesn't mean all Democrats are bad. Because you've been hurt by a man, it doesn't mean all men are bad. Because you were maybe robbed one day by an, uh, an ethnic minority doesn't mean ethnic minorities are criminals. Right. You you have to be careful. I think Bernie not, Madoff made that very clear. It, it, it don't let a singular. Per, but see, other people would use that as saying, you see, all Jewish people are criminals. Oh, you can't trust your money. But I wasn't saying that because he's Jewish. No, no, I know. But I I'm was saying, saying he was a white. But man. I've heard people say things like that because the moment yeah. one person does something, it indicts, implicates all the people related to them. And I'm saying this is a problem with our nation. And uh, right but now, my, is that... well, I want to finish my story because okay. I was saying, like, yeah. growing up, you only saw the Mexican culture in a specific way, mm -hmm. and we were, and I was raised in in, in a Mexican culture mm -hmm. in the East LA. Yeah. So I every, only way I knew Mexicans were like it was low income, it was a lot of gang related, a lot of mm -hmm. gardeners, a lot of like small business, but it was like in this one space, and I was mm -hmm. scared of never getting out. And so I, and then you took, and then you took me to El Salvador, and it's like, no, this is where you come from. And I fell in love with the culture, mm -hmm. and then there's a pride in it. And then I met really intelligent Mexicans that were from Mexico City, and then there, and then, and then I, and then you come to fall in love with the story of what young immigrants in America are coming out of, and it's a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then you take that upon yourself. And so I think a lot of it is like, is just the journey of understanding, the journey of can you put yourself in their shoes? Can you put yourself in their families? Are you friends with their families? You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you have to like, you have to be be willing to be uncomfortable to understand someone who's just genuinely different than you. Yeah. You yeah. I mean? And I, that's why reasons I thought it was so important for you to go back to my country to be in my, the house I grew up in, to sleep in the terrible right. bed that I slept in. You grew up in the in. jungle, man. <laughs> and uh, uh, to see the neighborhood I grew up, you know, yeah. I was in as a little boy. Because it's hard sometimes to realize this is where you came from. This is this is the roots. This is our story. 
but, and, 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 it, and it's your but, story too. But it went both ways, right? Because yeah. whenever I was in El Salvador and I'd be like, I'm El Salvadoreño, they would yeah. laugh at me. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, it was hard yeah. to identify with a culture that didn't identify with me. Yeah, they just, you, hey, who are you, white boy? <laughs> I know. And they're like, no. <laughs> yeah. And then they would say, like, you're lying. And I'd be like, no, I am my dad. And they look at you and be like, no. <laughs> Yeah, but but I think the reality is that like yeah, I'm way too tall. Is you have to try. <laughs> you are way too tall. Um, you have to try to understand the people who are different than you. Yeah, and I think that's um, it, it, we went, ended up focusing here, even though the questions have been really great. Yeah, you, you know, but we're gonna wrap up this one. Yeah, I just think it's really important for us to treat people as individuals and uh, to see people uniquely for who they are. Yeah, and 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 uh, and you know because. Uh, I had one of the questions on there that I didn't answer, but it said, uh, "Who's your favorite female theologian?" And I and my thought was, "I don't I have." You to bring that one up. I don't have a favorite female theologian. I can't even name a female theologian. But here's the good news. Yeah. I can't name a male theologian. I don't. I don't have a favorite male theologian. I don't think like that. I, I think the problem in our culture right now is that who's your favorite female? This. Who's your favorite male? This. Who's your favorite black? This. Who's your favorite Latino? This. Yeah. And um and and it. it it's so bizarre to me because I'd I'd rather talk about who, who who are the most fascinating minds in the world. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean that that's more important to me. Like, you know, who are the artists that are inspiring yeah. you? Who are the writers that are shaking your thinking? Like yeah. and uh but we've become so microscopic in identity language. And that only we're losing who we are. Yes, and and, the, and my 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 president Joe Biden reference was was a senator at the time is only saying to prove the point of we become microscopic when we want it, mm-hmm. right? We want to either elevate someone or destroy someone. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, like I don't I don't see Biden differently from that moment. If mm-hmm. anything, I'm more just like there are red flags in, with everyone. Mm-hmm. So it's like are we going to like let the next four years and figuring out what he's going to produce and what he's going to do and the problems he's going to solve define his future? Or are we going to let every – are we going to spend the next four years trying to destroy him based on it, the last 40 yeah. – and if you look at the last 40, if you if you accumulate all of the bad days in someone's life, and I think this goes for everything, it's like we get judged on our worst days, mm-hmm. right? We were yeah. talking about this with Cam Newton, yeah. and this ties us into the final conversation. And I think we should say this for the next episode, but yeah. like we get judged on our worst days because he had a kid calling him out for losing the Super Bowl, but he's one of the most elite quarterbacks in And he won the history. MVP. Why isn't he celebrating him for that? Yeah, and this punk kid is a high school student. He's achieved nothing. <laughs> and who feels it he he feels he has the posture in, in the platform to berate one of the greatest quarterbacks and i think it's one of the greatest examples of a kid with a camera and a big mouth and how we can be the kid and we can also be the camera guy and we can also be the other guy can we talk about it in the next episode yeah but i can we talk about it in the next episode yes okay yeah no i just i think that's interesting have you ever known someone you didn't like and then you didn't like that name anymore Yes. Let's talk about the next episode. Okay. We're going to wrap this one up. Thank okay. you for listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. This is an A and a B conversation. We have to say hi to my sister who's in the other room. Oh. Because she leaves tomorrow to go on a writing trip, finishing oh, the MSC I'm so excited album. MSC is working on the next album. I am too. Thank hey, you this for, has been a fun conversation. Thank you guys a, for all your questions. Keep sending them in. Yes. And there's a ton of questions that have happened. Then we'll since, pick up from here. Yep. All right. See you guys later. Bye.